Chapter Nine of Recollections of Abraham Lincoln, eighteen forty seven to eighteen sixty five, by Ward Hill Lemon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter Nine The Antietam Episode Lincoln's Love of Song. In the autumn of eighteen sixty two, I chanced to be associated with Mr. Lincoln in a transaction which, though innocent and commonplace in itself, was blown by rumor and surmise into a revolting and deplorable scandal. A conjectural lie, although mean, misshapen, and very small at its birth, grew at length into a tempest of defamation, whose last echoes were not heard until its noble victim had yielded his life to a form of assassination only a trifle more deadly. Mr. Lincoln was painted as the prime mover in a scene of fiendish levity more atrocious than the world had ever witnessed since human nature was shamed and degraded by the capers of Nero and Commodus. I refer to what is known as the Antietam song-singing, and I propose to show that the popular construction put upon that incident was wholly destitute of truth. Mr. Lincoln persistently declined to read the harsh comments of the newspaper press and the fierce mouthings of platform orators, and under his advice I as persistently refused to make any public statement concerning that ill-judged affair. He believed, with Sir Walter Scott, that if a cause of action is good, it needs no vindication from the actor's motives. If bad, it can derive none. When I suggested to him that the slander ought to be refuted, that a word from him would silence his defamers, Mr. Lincoln replied with great earnestness, No, Hill, there has already been too much said about this falsehood. Let the thing alone. If I have not established character enough to give the lie to this charge, I can only say that I am mistaken in my own estimate of myself. In politics every man must skin his own skunk, these fellows are welcome to the hide of this one. Its body has already given forth its unsavory odor. The newspapers and the stump speakers went on stuffing the ears of men with false reports until the fall of 1864, when I showed to Mr. Lincoln a letter, of which the following is a copy. It is a fair sample of hundreds of letters received by me about that time, the Antietam incident being then discussed with increased virulence and new accessions of false coloring. Philadelphia, September 10, 1864. Ward H. Lamon. Dear Sir, Enclosed is an extract from the New York World, September 9, 1864. One of Mr. Lincoln's jokes. The second verse of our campaign song published on this page was probably suggested by an incident which occurred on the battlefield of Antietam a few days after the fight. While the President was driving over the field in an ambulance, accompanied by Marshal Lamon, General McClellan, and another officer, heavy details of men were engaged in the task of burying the dead. The ambulance had just reached the neighborhood of the old stone bridge where the dead were piled highest, when Mr. Lincoln, suddenly slapping Marshal Lemon on the knee, exclaimed, Come, Lemon, give us that song about Picayune Butler. McClellan has never heard it. 
not now if you please said general mcclellan with a shudder i would prefer to hear it some other place and time this story has been repeated in the new york world almost daily for the last three months until now it would have been useless to demand its authority by this article it limits the inquiry to three persons as its authority marshal lemon another officer and general mcclellan that it is a damaging story if believed cannot be disputed that it is believed by some or that they pretend to believe it is evident by the accompanying verse from the doggerel in which allusion is made to it abe may crack his jolly jokes o'er bloody fields of stricken battle while yet the ebbing life-tide smokes from men that die like butchered cattle he ere yet the guns grow cold to pimps and pets may crack his stories etc i wish to ask you sir in behalf of others as well as myself whether any such occurrence took place or if it did not take place please to state who that other officer was if there was any such in the ambulance in which the president was driving over the field of antietam whilst details of men were engaged in the task of burying the dead you will confer a great favor by an immediate reply most respectfully your obedient servant a j perkins along with the above i submitted to mr lincoln my own draft of what i conceived to be a suitable reply the brutal directness and falsity of the world's charge and the still more brutal and insulting character of the doggerel with which it was garnished impelled me to season my reply to mr perkins letter with a large infusion of vinegar and gall after carefully reading both letters mr lincoln shook his head no lemon said he i would not publish this reply it is too belligerent in tone for so grave a matter there is a heap of cussedness mixed up with your usual amiability and you are at times too fond of a fight if i were you i would simply state the facts as they were i would give the statement as you have here without the pepper and salt let me try my hand at it he then took up a pen and wrote the following it was to be copied by me and forwarded to mr perkins as my refutation of the slander the president has known me intimately for nearly twenty years and has often heard me sing little ditties the battle of antietam was fought on the seventeenth day of september eighteen sixty two on the first day of october just two weeks after the battle the president with some others including myself started from washington to visit the army reaching harper's ferry at noon of that day in a short while general mcclellan came from his headquarters near the battleground joined the president and with him reviewed the troops at bolivar heights that afternoon and at night returned to his headquarters leaving the president at harper's ferry on the morning of the second the president with general sumner reviewed the troops respectively at loden heights and maryland heights and at about noon started to general mcclellan's headquarters reaching there only in time to see very little before night on the morning of the third all started on a review of the third corps and the cavalry in the vicinity of the antietam battleground after getting through with general burnside's corps at the suggestion of general mcclellan 
he and the president left their horses to be led and went into an ambulance or ambulances to go to general fitz john porter's corps which was two or three miles distant i am not sure whether the president and general mcclellan were in the same ambulance or in different ones but myself and some others were in the same with the president on the way and on no part of the battleground and on what suggestions i do not remember the president asked me to sing the little sad song that follows which he had often heard me sing and had always seemed to like very much i sang it after it was over some one of the party i do not think it was the president asked me to sing something else and i sang two or three little comic things of which picayune butler was one porter's corps was reached and reviewed then the battleground was passed over and the most noted parts examined then in succession the cavalry and franklin's corps were reviewed and the president and party returned to general mcclellan's headquarters at the end of a very hard hot and dusty day's work next day the fourth the president and general mcclellan visited such of the wounded as still remained in the vicinity including the now lamented general richardson then proceeded to and examined the south mountain battleground at which point they parted general mcclellan returning to his camp and the president returning to washington seeing on the way general hartsoff who lay wounded at fredericktown this is the whole story of the singing and its surroundings neither general mcclellan nor any one else made any objections to the singing the place was not on the battlefield the time was sixteen days after the battle no dead body was seen during the whole time the president was absent from washington nor even a grave that had not been rained on since it was made this perfectly truthful statement was written by mr lincoln about the twelfth of september eighteen sixty four less than two years after the occurrence of the events therein described it was done slowly and with great deliberation and care the statement however was never made public mr lincoln said to me you know hill that this is the truth and the whole truth about that affair but i dislike to appear as an apologist for an act of my own which i know was right keep this paper and we will see about it the momentous and all-engrossing events of the war caused the american episode to be forgotten by the president for a time the statement was not given to the press but has remained in my possession until this day mark how simple the explanation is mr lincoln did not ask me to sing picayune butler no song was sung on the battlefield the singing occurred on the way from burnside's corps to fitz john porter's corps some distance from the battleground and sixteen days after the battle moreover mr lincoln had said to me lamon sing one of your little sad songs and thereby hangs a tale which is well worth the telling as it illustrates a striking phase of mr lincoln's character which has never been fully revealed i knew well what mr lincoln meant by the little sad songs the sentiment that prompted him to call for such a song had its history and one of deep and touching interest to me one little sad song a simple ballad entitled twenty years ago was above all others his favorite 
he had no special fondness for operatic music he loved simple ballads and ditties such as the common people sing whether of the comic or pathetic kind but no one in the list touched his great heart as did the song of twenty years ago many a time in the old days of our familiar friendship on the illinois circuit and often at the white house when he and i were alone have i seen him in tears while i was rendering in my poor way that homely melody the late judge david davis the hon leonard sweat and judge corden beckwith were equally partial to the same ballad often have i seen those great men overcome by the peculiar charm they seemed to find in the sentiment and melody of that simple song the following verses seem to affect mr lincoln more deeply than any of the others i've wandered to the village tom i've sat beneath the tree upon the schoolhouse playground that sheltered you and me but none were left to greet me tom and few were left to know who played with us upon the green some twenty years ago near by the spring upon the elm you know i cut your name your sweetheart's just beneath it tom and you did mine the same some heartless wretch has peeled the bark twas dying sure but slow just as she died whose name you cut some twenty years ago my lids have long been dry tom but tears came to my eyes i thought of her i loved so well those early broken ties i visited the old churchyard and took some flowers to strew upon the graves of these we loved some twenty years ago this is the song mr lincoln called for and the one i sang to him in the vicinity of antietam he was at the time weary and sad as i well knew it would the song only deepened his sadness i then did what i had done many times before i startled him from his melancholy by striking up a comic air singing also a snatch from picayune butler which broke the spell of the little sad song and restored somewhat his accustomed easy humor it was not the first time i had pushed hilarity simulated though it was to an extreme for his sake i had often recalled him from a pit of melancholy into which he was prone to descend by a jest a comic song or a provoking sally of a startling kind and mr lincoln always thanked me afterward for my well-timed rudeness of kind intent this reminds me of one or two little rhythmic shots i often fired at him in his melancholy moods and it was a kind of nonsense that he always keenly relished one was a parody on life on the ocean wave mr lincoln would always laugh immoderately when i sang this jingling nonsense to him it reminded him of the rude and often witty ballads that had amused him in his boyhood days he was fond of negro melodies and the blue-tailed fly was a favorite he often called for that buzzing ballad when we were alone and he wanted to throw off the weight of public and private cares a comic song in the theater always restored mr lincoln's cheerful good humor but while he had great fondness for witty and mirth-provoking ballads our grand old patriotic airs and songs of the tender and sentimental kind afforded him the deepest pleasure ben bolt was one of his favorite ballads so was the sword of bunker hill 
and he was always deeply moved by the lament of the Irish emigrant, especially the following touching lines. I'm very lonely now, Mary, for the poor make no new friends, but oh they love the better still the few our father sends, and you were all I had, Mary, my blessing and my pride. There's nothing left to care for now since my poor Mary died. Many examples can be given illustrative of this phase of Mr. Lincoln's character, the blending of the mirthful and the melancholy in his singular love of music and verse. When he was seventeen years old his sister was married. The festivities of the occasion were made memorable by a song entitled Adam and Eve's Wedding Song, which many believed was composed by Mr. Lincoln himself. The conceits embodied in the verses were old before Mr. Lincoln was born but there is some intrinsic as well as extrinsic evidence to show that the doggerel itself was his. ADAM AND EVE'S WEDDING SONG When Adam was created he dwelt in Eden's shade, as Moses has recorded, and soon an Eve was made. Ten thousand times ten thousand of creatures swarmed around before a bride was formed, and yet no mate was found. The Lord then was not willing the man should be alone, but caused a sleep upon him, and took from him a bone, and closed the flesh in that place of, and then he took the same, and of it made a woman, and brought her to the man. Then Adam he rejoiced to see his loving bride, a part of his own body the product of his side. This woman was not taken from Adam's feet, we see, so he must not abuse her, the meaning seems to be. This woman was not taken from Adam's head, we know, to show she must not rule him, tis evidently so. This woman she was taken from under Adam's arm, so she must be protected from injuries and harm but the lines which Mr. Lincoln liked best of all, and which were repeated by him more often than any other, were, Oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud? Mr. Carpenter, in his Six Months at the White House, gives them in full as follows. Oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud? Like a swift fleeting meteor, a fast flying cloud, a flash of the lightning, a break of the wave. He passeth from life to his rest in the grave. The leaves of the oak and the willow shall fade, be scattered around and together be laid, and the young and the old and the low and the high shall moulder to dust, and together shall lie. The infant a mother attended and loved, the mother that infant's affection who proved. The husband, that mother, and infant who blessed, each all are away to their dwellings of rest. The maid on whose cheek, on whose brow, in whose eye, shone beauty and pleasure, her triumphs are by, and the memory of those who loved her and praised are alike from the minds of the living erased. The hand of the king that the scepter hath borne, the brow of the priest, that the mitre hath worn. The eye of the sage and the heart of the brave are hidden and lost in the depths of the grave. 
the peasant whose lot was to sow and to reap the herdsman who climbed with his goats up the steep the beggar who wandered in search of his bread have faded away like the grass that we tread the saint who enjoyed the communion of heaven the sinner who dared to remain unforgiven the wise and the foolish the guilty and just have quietly mingled their bones in the dust so the multitude goes like the flower or the weed that withers away to let others succeed so the multitude comes even those we behold to repeat every tale that has often been told for we are the same our fathers have been we see the same sights our fathers have seen we drink the same stream we view the same sun and run the same course our fathers have run the thoughts we are thinking our fathers would think from the death we are shrinking our fathers would shrink to the life we are clinging they also would cling but it speeds from us all like a bird on the wing they loved but the story we cannot unfold they scorned but the heart of the haughty is cold they grieved but no wail from their slumber will come they joyed but the tongue of their gladness is dumb they died ay they died we things that are now that walk on the turf that lies over their brow and make in their dwellings a transient abode meet the things that they met on their pilgrimage road yea hope and despondency pleasure and pain are mingled together in sunshine and rain and the smile and the tear the song and the dirge still follow each other like surge upon surge tis the wink of an eye tis the draught of a breath from the blossom of health to the paleness of death from the gilded saloon to the bier and the shroud oh why should the spirit of mortal be proud these curiously sad lines were chosen by mr lincoln when he was a very young man to commemorate a grief which lay with continual heaviness on his heart but to which he could not otherwise allude the death of anne rutledge in whose grave mr lincoln said that his heart lay buried he muttered these verses as he rambled through the woods he was heard to murmur them as he slipped into the village at nightfall they came unbidden to his lips in all places and very often in his later life in the year of his nomination he repeated them to some friends when he had finished them he said they sounded to him as much like true poetry as anything that he had ever heard the poem is now his it is imperishably associated with his memory and interwoven with the history of his greatest sorrow mr lincoln's adoption of it has saved it from oblivion and translated it from the poet's corner of the country newspaper to a place in the story of his own life but enough has been given to show that mr lincoln was as incapable of insulting the dead in the manner credited to him in the antietam episode as he was of committing mean and unmanly outrages upon the living if hypercritical and self-appointed judges are still disposed to award blame for anything that happened on that occasion let their censure fall upon me and not upon the memory of the illustrious dead 
who was guiltless of wrong, and without the shadow of blame for the part he bore in that misjudged affair. My own part in the incident, in the light of the facts here given, needs no apology. End of chapter 9 The Antietam Episode Lincoln's Love of Song Read by John Greenman